They're always empty, right? Not always, but very often. So I checked. Did I have garlic tonight? I didn't. How many people here have uh, never heard uh, not even one talk in this series, which has gone on? There have been about, I don't know, 17, 18 talks already. There's, it's most of you, or many, many of you, yeah. How many um, um, more than one? Show of hands. We left off last time uh, getting ready to talk about time, T-I-M-E. But what I've been attempting to do each time uh, is also to very, very briefly um, try to convey the sense of this series of talks, uh, self-knowing, acquired passion. Uh, self-knowing may sound self-evident. person gets to know themselves. And that's true. In one sense, it's true. Can you hear me in the back? And in one sense, also, uh, that seems to be a lot of what this form of meditation is about. That is, you can't understand this would be a premise. To me, it's no longer a premise, but see what you think of it. Uh, you can't really, truly understand what the Buddha is talking about uh, unless you begin to know yourself. Because it's a, that's what it's about. Uh, tonight I'll refer uh, probably to a couple of sutras, teachings of the Buddha. But all of the many, many sermons that the Buddha gave are about us. That is when you... Uh, and in my own attempt to convey some aspect of this teaching, uh, it's not an academic lecture. It's really designed to help you see, or to encourage you to see, uh, does any of this have any truth, or is it helpful? Is this something that might be useful in my life? Now, if you read many of the sutras, or study them, of the Buddha, you don't always get that feeling. Uh, and then some sutras really speak to you. And you understand, uh, in fact, in, in the, they can even change your life when you get the implication of what the teaching is about. And if it doesn't, you set it aside, uh, not necessarily forever, but for right now it's not helpful. Uh, the Buddha said a lot about time, T-I-M-E. Uh, the reason I qualify that is I have a, a... My hobby is herbal medicine, or very much an amateur, and I have friends who are in that. When I say it, they think it's T-H-Y-M-E. So I, but I realize I don't, none of you thought it was that, right? Okay, it's an herb if you're not, if you're, if you're from a city or something. Okay. Um, Self-knowing is the... the way in which a human being attempts to 
find out about themselves. Uh, the uh, Socrates, at least as we hear him uh, through the mouth of Plato, uh, said that this is ancient philosophy. Philosophy has gone in a rather different direction, uh, saying the whole point of philosophy is um, how is one to live? Maybe you never asked that question. But typically, as you live longer, uh, life forces you to, at least in certain ways. And in some cases, to ask that question in a, a very profound way. How is one to live? Now, typically, we begin by being handed a way of living through our conditioning, our family, the school system, and so forth. How else can we begin? So we begin there. And some of it perhaps appeals to us, and we're, we're drawn in that direction, perhaps an occupation, perhaps a way of life. Now it's called a lifestyle. And that gets changed as we uh, grow older, as we grow up. Uh, and sometimes uh, life is such that we uh, question very, very deeply. Uh, what is this, this body sitting here, and this mind, and this mouth that words seem to be coming out? They sound coherent to me. I don't know if they do to you. What's going on here? Where's it coming from? Well, it's from your brain, and then someone can scientifically explain it. Uh, so how is one to live is inseparable from knowing yourself, because how you live and who you are are really uh, the same question. One is sort of, sort of static. It sounds like it's fixed. Self-knowing. But that's the reason I'm using a verb, to try to make it, uh, take it, rescue it, in my opinion, from knowledge. Knowledge is a kind of uh, words that we accumulate about ourselves. Typically, it's about me, about the ego, about I. I went here, I did this, I grew up there, I then went into this occupation, I then married this person, etc. But who is this I that's doing everything? Who is this I that uh, is so happy and is so sad? Who is that? What is that? Uh, typically, that's not questioned very much because we're too busy living out the life of that I, of me, I. And then the things that uh, we attach to, we identify with, we acquire, and the things that we don't want. Um, and you can go through a whole life without asking that question, trying to find out, well, what is this I that seems to be central to everything that's happening? Okay. Uh, one main way to start to for self-discovery to happen, of course, is to sit down and take a look. And that, that's, a, that's what meditation, sitting meditation, is certainly very good for. Uh, those of you, I look around, a few of you did the retreat this weekend. If you hand yourself over to a retreat, or even just one sitting, uh, you're handing yourself over to a dramatically simplified situation, sometimes complete silence, no reading, writing, or arithmetic, no socializing. So what are you left with? Your breath, your mind as it is, this body as it is. And so if you, if you uh, are drawn to staying with it, sitting is an extraordinary invention by the human race that uh, temporarily, it's like a laboratory. It simplifies life dramatically because we have nothing else to do but pay attention to our experience. Once we get up from the cushion, enter into the action of life, 
it's much more complicated. But it's the same issue. That's why self-knowing is not limited to a cushion or to a center or to uh, the forest or Asia. There's no particular place it can happen because it can happen wherever you are, wherever you're alive. Uh, life is constantly teaching, challenging us. And then the, 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 the one way, meaning of koan, many of you probably have heard of koan and Zen, and they're rather esoteric or exotic and sometimes very hilarious sounding exchanges between people. But life itself is a koan in the sense that each situation, and certainly some of them, are challenges. How do I live with this? What do I do here? Where do I go? Do I stop, start? Uh, these decisions actually are going on in small ways all day long. Okay. If you pay attention, you can't help but see that you're putting your signature on everything you do. How else, what else can we do? We have to be ourselves, and that's what we bring to life. That's what we bring to the people in our life, no matter what capacity. Okay. So self-knowing is you getting to know you and even there, at first, it's fam it seems it is familiar. It's psychological. You get to know the ways of this I, this me. It's quite interesting. Psychological understanding can smooth out your personality, can uh, refine it a bit, sandpaper off some things that are getting in the way, add on some things that make it more appealing to people, take various practices, courses, workshops, meditation to improve it. But finally, in this approach, in the Buddhist teaching, self-knowing is finding out who you aren't. Which, if you're... How many of you are very new to this practice? Okay. How many of you are here at this center for the very first time? Okay. That may sound insane to find out who you aren't. It's really an odd way of saying to find out who you really are. And who we really are are not the ideas we have about ourselves. Not deeply, not truly. That is, uh, the depth of life, the deepest experience that we have of being alive, of being who we are, has no thinking in it. Thinking has a vital role in life, very, very important. Uh, but it's, in a certain way, uh, exterior, external. And as we go deeper and deeper, there's no thinking there, which is not, it's not a vacuum. It's not, you're not a vacuity. It's not a lobotomy, because something's going on when you get very still and spacious. And it's invaluable and precious, and you know it, even though, if you, and then people try to put words to it. The Buddha was not, uh, he, he hardly said anything about it. He said, it's the original nature of the mind that I'm talking about. Before, what gets grafted onto it is our conditioning. The particular family we came from, the particular school system, country we grew up in, etc. There's something that is prior to that, which we all share. It's the same for all of us. Uh, when you're, All of us are thinking right now, including me, and we're very different from each other. If your mind gets really quiet, and my mind gets really quiet. It's the same mind. We're tapping something that is prior to conditioning, prior to the particular culture that you are expressing. Now, it doesn't mean then, well, what if you do a lot of this meditation and spend a lot of time in that silence? Do you become a zombie? Or is there no color left in life? 
so certain eccentricities, your own personal style, some of which you like. It's not that at all. It's that you then express yourself through your equipment. I would do it through my equipment. Equipment meaning uh, my nervous system. My uh, the history does come in. If I've had a lot of legal training, then it would express itself through that in court. If I'm a lawyer. If you're a martial artist, uh, it's not that you automatically become a champion a black belt martial artist, is that you express yourself from a much deeper level. The same for any kind of art or any, th any activity in life. So self-knowing in this sense, and we got into this last time, is brainwashing. But I'm using the term in a different way. Uh, try to wash your brain of the assumptions you have. To me, it's a misnomer. I don't know why they ever called it brainwashing. I'm sure there was, I think it happened during the Korean War, but I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Um, but think about it, come to it with innocence. To wash your brain, isn't that nice? It's kind of beautiful, you know, just wash it of what? Well, all of our, the stuff that brought you here. I mean, what are you doing here? Aside from the air conditioning, many of you didn't, you know. No, and if the talk goes on and it's not for you, uh, be grateful for the air conditioning at least. <laughs> Something is, you're searching, go to different places, different uh, traditions, different activities, try to find something that's meaningful for you that can help you live. And this is just one, uh, the Buddha's teaching. So self-knowing uh, has to do with, in a sense, uh, even if it's just temporarily, to let go of the ideas we have of who we are, who we used to be, who we want to be. They're notions. That's what they are. But we believe in them fiercely, and we mistake that for being the deepest part of ourselves. We'll kill each other over who we think we are and who we think you are. And I would, probably all spiritual paths go to where I'm pointing to, but I'm not an expert in that. I barely know anything about this path. This path goes to clear mind. And clear mind uh, is, the, is when the brain temporarily, all of the uh, vexation, all of the conflicts and, and uh, indecision and, uh, you know, you, we all have the same mind. Temporarily, at least, it goes into abeyance. And you have a respite, a break. And that break is not uh, trivial because a lot happens in the silence. Okay, so self-knowing has a journey to go through. We're emphasizing that awareness, self-knowing, and action, um, that is how we do learn the answer to the question, how is one to live? Inescapably, as far as I can tell, we start off with a lot of how we live being how we were brought up. And I'm not saying this in a derogatory way at all. We have to. We have to begin where, with what's immediate. We've been trained to be a certain way, have certain attitudes, values, likes, dislikes, and so forth. And then each person puts a different twist on it. But then if you ask the question, how is one to live? That requires a freshness, like a newborn babe, that you're really looking at life in a fresh way. That is also part of what this meditation's about. Some of you have heard of it, beginner's mind, don't know mind, not knowing mind. 
it's the mind that isn't loaded down with assumptions and conclusions that, that merely knows everything. It's got everything figured out. When you come into a situation, let's say it's a problematic one, can the mind be empty, clear? And can you then experience from that place of clarity, experience what that situation is in your body, in your mind, and then if action is called for, to act in some way that is beneficial for yourself and the other people who are involved, or if it's just you, just you. And so, uh, in this sense, how is one to live? I don't see it as a fixed, you give it a definition, uh, and, or you figure out, well, this is how I want to live, because we're being challenged by life all the time. And implied here is that uh, we're, we're not exactly so expert in how to live. What the Buddha is saying is, human race, you don't know how to live. Here's some guidelines, some help. But all of, those, all of the help requires you taking a look at yourself. All of it. If you don't want to get to know yourself, then I don't see this path. You can read all the books in the library, and you, if you've stopped off, you see there's a good-sized library, and you'll find uh, everything what the, about what the Buddha said. And let's, the Buddha solved his problem. Let's hope so. But we haven't solved ours. And you can't solve it just by studying externally, even Buddhism or the Buddha's teaching. It has to be an interplay back and forth between the two. Now, what I want to do in the, the remainder of, uh, I don't know how many talks in the series will be left, is go through particular sutras of the Buddha. Uh, the sutras, are, for those of you who are very, very new, um, it's not exactly, uh, well, it's as best as we know, particular situations with fellow humans that the Buddha got into who had problems, uh, certain aspects of the situation not being lived so well, and the Buddha's solution. It includes instructions on how to meditate. It includes attitudes, approaches, and the collected body of it is called the Pali Canon. And I don't know how accurate it is. We didn't, they didn't have tape recorders. They wrote on palm leaves and uh, relied on memory much more than a modern person uh, could conceive of being possible because memory, they, people had to. Uh, part of the training was to rem staggering amounts of things to remember, like teachings. We have books, so we don't, we don't need that. What I would like to do is, uh, okay, self-knowing, it's a quiet passion. Quiet in the sense of it happens very silently. It's quite unobtrusive. Uh, you just go about your business of living. If you're just sitting, you know it's silent. There's even a rule. On retreats, we don't speak, except in certain cases. And then you live your life. So it's a kind of, the passion is inward, and it might not even be evident to anyone who sees you from the outside, because there's not any necessary way in which you exhibit it through certain physical acts, like, let's say, dance, where you where you demonstrate a passion, or many ways to show passion, but this one requires passion too. Well, let's let's use the word uh, interest. 
nothing worthwhile happens in life unless you get interested. This is getting interested in the conduct of your own life. How am I living? What is this? It's not to ask these questions in an abstract sense. It's to start paying attention as to how we actually live. And to start picking up tools, which is what the Buddha's uh, teaching is very, very good for. There have been many, many enlightened people, I'm sure of it. The Buddha may be exceptional in that he left a path for people that's a very concrete. Thousands of years later, it's still available. And you can make some sense out of it techniques and methods and forms uh, for us to replicate what happened to the Buddha and for different kinds of temperaments. There's not one size fits all. And so let's say if we hear self-knowing, why do you need, why do you need all this Buddhism stuff? Just start paying attention. You have to come over here and do all kinds of things and maybe uh, you have to join things and become a member and buy special books and talk a certain way. Why not just start living your life consciously? And you can. And there are people who have done that. Uh, but the reason, the, the interplay here is between some definite teachings that the, the Buddha laid uh, lay down for us and the freshness and responsibility of looking at life for ourselves and also testing to see if those teachings indeed help us. Now, uh, what I would like to, to do is um, at least begin this evening to start going into, um, it'll be one, one or two sutras this evening, depending on time, uh, and then there's going to be one which we'll go into for a number of weeks. That's the one that has to do with time. Um, we may go beyond that because what I'm saying is these teachings of the Buddha are about us. Okay. Um, as a prelude to all, whatever else comes after this, I'm going to very briefly go into a, a very important teaching of the Buddha. For myself, it's what distinguished it from every other spiritual path that I know of. And were it not there, I probably would not be here. Because I um, had my share of dogmatic religion. I grew up in a, an environment which was Orthodox Jewish. I went through seven years of Orthodox Hebrew school, come from a long line of rabbis, um, and then my parent, my father, and his father broke that. So uh, some of my uh, uh, negativity towards, uh, towards that kind of dogmatism, I, I inherited. I didn't earn it really. But then by living and testing it, I feel I, I have earned it now. I see what happens. And then I meet other people from other dogmatic persuasions, not, not just religions. And uh, there are some limitations and even dangers in approaching life that way. So, but I, I don't want to generalize beyond myself, and I think a fair number of people now in the West. Um, there's a sutra called, it's uh, on the Kalama Sutra. The Kalamas were, it sounded very much like possibly Cambridge in certain ways. The people were very privileged and fortunate, educated, uh, had all kinds of good conditions. And because of that, many teachers would come through there, like Harvard Square, or look at bulletin boards with all the different smiling faces, all telling you how they have the most ancient way, the fastest way, the most profound way, and then some smiling face who 
hopefully convinces you and then you come down. I don't think we have any smiling faces. Maybe it's because we're depressed. I don't know. <laughs> You'll have to find out. They were confused because one teacher would come through, make a very convincing case about how this teaching was it. Another would come through, no, this is it, and then throw mud at the one at the other ones, and they do it to each other. And the poor column is very sincere, intelligent, motivated, and what to do? We don't now here you are, Mr. Buddha. And now what? You're gonna lay another trip on us. Uh, and what the Buddha the, the teaching that came out of that uh, is sometimes called the charter of freedom of inquiry or the importance of questioning what's going on. Uh, because, for example, if I would question the rabbi that I had, and again, I'm not generalizing beyond that. I'm not trying to, to I don't mean to step on anyone's toes. It's not uh, Buddhism is the only way. I'm just telling you from my angle what happened to me. Um, the Buddha didn't uh, lay it out for them and then say, this is really it. All the others who've come before me uh, were off. Okay? And added something else. He actually made it a virtue, a value, to question, to inquire, to test. And see if I can give you a little bit of the flavor of it. We went through it in more detail, and I don't want to... Okay, th this comes from uh, just one part of this sutra. Uh, on the Charter for Freedom of Inquiry. It's inner freedom. We, pr we have, as, as, the, as humans go, we have a lot of outer freedom. This is uh, our, our country. There, it's not perfect, but we have a lot of outer freedom. But uh, are we free inwardly? Uh, and of course, outward freedom is precious. People have died for it. Many people have died for it. But inner freedom is not even one that people often don't, often people don't even know that such a thing exists or that it's possible or that it's desirable to free inwardly or what would it be like? So we mistake often inner freedom for rebellion or I do it, I, I do it my way. Um, you know, it's perhaps a beginning. So here's one just little snippet of it just to give you the flavor, especially those of you who are new. This is the Buddha now. Come, Kalamas, don't go by reports. That is, it's reported that. By legends, by traditions, by scripture, by logical conjecture, by inference, by analogies, by consistency with your own views, by probability, or by the thought this speaker is my, is, is my teacher, i.e., he can't be wrong. When you know for yourselves that these mental qualities are unskillful, these mental qualities are blameworthy, these mental qualities are criticized by the wise, that part will, uh, I'll have to clarify. These mental qualities, when acted on, lead to harm and suffering. If that's so, then abandon them. When you know for yourselves that these mental qualities are skillful, these mental qualities are blameless, these mental qualities are pra praised by the wise, these mental qualities, when acted on, lead to well-being and happiness. 
then keep following them. One misinterpretation of these instructions I would call uh, the California way, which is, uh, hey man, I just follow my heart. You know, wherever my heart takes me, tells me to go, that's where I go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope your heart is in pretty good shape because a lot of people think they're doing that and just take a look at the world. Uh, in other words, license to just uh, be a free spirit. Okay. Uh, that's played off against dogmatic religion, which I was doing a little bit of just now, which I apologize for because I don't have a deep understanding of Judaism or Catholicism at all. I left and I have not come back. Um, there's an important distinction here. What the Buddha is saying in essence is that is if a teaching, if a teaching uh, leads to your well-being and the well-being of those in your life, then keep going with it. In other words, you, you test it. Is it helpful for you? Not because uh, your teacher uh, said it, or as one of my teachers put it uh, in a very humorous way, he, had a, a, he said, the longer the beard, uh, the more put your hand, this is what teachers who are coming from India. He said, keep your hand on your wallet. The longer the beard, the tighter you hold on to your wallet. And he had a very long beard. Um, Those are all sources of information. It's not to turn our back on what other humans have learned before us. It's not to invent fire for the first time over and over and over again. Uh, it's not, but it's not to take things in a, a, bl a, bl a way of blind faith. Tentatively, you take it up or else how can you find out if it's helpful, if it's true? So is the particular teaching, when you carry it out, does it help you with your life? And does that improve the quality of the life of those people who are in life with you? If it doesn't, drop it. So it's a very pragmatic test. And it, it goes along with any religion, any uh, approach. Uh, because you can live and see what the, what the results are. And then if you're willing to, you can start looking at and evaluate with a fresh and fair mind, what is this amounting to, the way I've been living? That takes courage. That's a bold act. Because often, and that's what self-knowing, uh, that's one of the difficulties of it. It does require a certain courage and a boldness. And interest, you have to understand that uh, it's, not a ca it's not a hobby to understand yourself. Some would say, uh, I would, it's urgent. Speaking of the human race, all of us together, no, not singling out any region or political party or anything like that. Uh, we don't know how to live as a human race. Uh, we're more dangerous than anything in the animal species. We have amazing technology, extraordinary. We're brilliant, just absolutely brilliant. It's miraculous what computers are able to do, and it's just beginning, etc. Electricity and uh, if you look at it, you see that it's amazing what we can do about mastering externals. And yet, internally, we have not seemed to uh, move ahead very much. Uh, if you read what was going on at the time of the Buddha, true, they didn't have such lethal weapons, but people were doing each other in then too for the same reasons. 
Okay, so it's a, in a sense, every generation, it's a plea. Please take a look at yourself and find out how you're living uh, for, this, for your sake, to improve the quality of your life, but also for those who are living with you. It's a gift to them. If you're living out of a befuddled mind, what do you think it is that you're bringing Sometime, to others? Sometimes people will say, well, isn't this meditation a kind of narcissism, just you know, being preoccupied with yourself, sitting there and being obsessed with yourself? It can be that, of course. But that isn't what the practice is. What meditation is, if you're doing that, is to see that. Is to see that you're obsessed with yourself and that you really don't care about anyone else and that you're using meditation that way. So it's a misuse of the practice. And so it's giving us a license, in fact, encouraging us strongly uh, to test any of the teachings to see if they hold up in our own life. And if they do, full speed ahead. If they don't, drop it. But you do have to test it. It's not something you can figure out in your head. Uh, you can, but that won't be it. It'll just be like thinking through a hypothesis, and I think many uh, this is a scientific age, and many people are drawn to this approach because it's, it has a very strong rational component, cause and effect. Take a look at how you're living. What's the effect of it? Okay. So it's been misunderstood as license, which it isn't. Uh, so then where do all these teachings come in? There were just endless teachings of the Buddha. I thought the Buddha said, uh, don't worry about reports and traditions and uh, scriptures and uh, teachers with long beards and all the rest of it. Um, what he's, what's being said here is uh, don't give over final authority to someone else. Or as you're responsible for your own life. Don't give over final authority to someone else. You inescapably, of course it's always true, if you hand yourself over to someone else in a way that is unquestioning, you did that. Fine, don't complain when uh, it turns out to be a very, very destructive cult, etc. Okay. Uh, so, so now what? Because I'm, I'm about to, uh, over the next few, however long many talks this goes on for, uh, start taking particular sutras. I'm suggesting that they're about us, that they're guides to living, and it's it really is like anything else, like let's say science. Uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, human beings over thousands of years who've devoted their life to trying to understand life and they've left a record behind. And then we revise it, we improve upon it. That's part of what's exciting. Now, what is being claimed for teachings like this is, uh, of course, uh, there's a part of it that's culture-bound. It's only relevant, let's say, to India at a certain time, maybe even now. But it, it's not to, it's just form. It's a cultural prerequisite, a cultural accoutrement. But the essence of the religion, it's maintained, is timeless. It has nothing to do with a particular culture. It has nothing to do with a particular time period. It's because you're investigating how you suffer. What do I have to do to produce suffering, psychological suffering? You're trying to understand that now. Now, so how can you understand that? That's a, a big part of self-knowing. And if you start doing that, you'll see, I see, because I listen to a lot of minds, people are so different, some who uh, tiptoe towards any, any kind of suffering. One step forward, 20 steps back. 
and some go in with a big sword on a white horse and uh, before they're equipped, before the mind is steady enough to look into all kinds of things, uh, experience a defeat and then get discouraged and that's the end of it. So self-knowing and action are inseparable, how we act in life in regard to anything. But past talks have had to do with paying attention, using awareness to get to know your own body when you eat. There are all these diets around. Sure, you can learn from them, but pay attention. Let your body tell you what the outcome is. Don't give up the authority to someone else, finally. And so, uh, so what I'm suggesting is a sutra-like, we'll be uh, getting to, uh, to the Bade Karata Sutta. It has to do with time. T I, uh, I don't have to say T-I-M-E. Excuse me. Is this the American Herbal Society? No, it is. Um, one of my teachers, uh, uh, a, a Cambodian uh, uh, teacher, Cambodian Buddhist uh, teacher named Maha Gosananda, uh, he's, he's come here, he's given talks here, quite a character, very eccentric. And he would sum up, he'd say, the whole, the whole of the deep Buddhist teaching, it boils down to this. Um, do you eat time, or does time eat you? Okay. I'm not going to explain that just yet, but that's what we're going to be understanding. What? Uh, what it's implying is uh, we, we misuse time. We don't understand psychological time. It's not saying clocks aren't essential. Of course they are. Um, what we're saying is that our relationship to psychological time is unexamined. And a number of talks ago, I got into gratitude for uh, teachings that have come before us that help us get to know ourselves in certain ways. Uh, personally, I never would have uh, looked as carefully at how I use psychological time, how I relate to it, had I not read this sutra and other commentaries and had teachers pointed out to me. I, w I don't think I would have. I would have taken it for granted and just be living. Uh, the time would be eating me all the time. Uh, and so it'll, you'll see it's not so uh, esoteric in a few minutes. I'll, we'll at least get started on that this evening. Um, but still, you have to, it's not to, uh, it's to take advantage of the wisdom that has preceded us. Uh, I think the Buddha was a little wiser than, I, than myself. I know it. I have no doubt about it. Uh, it's actually a stupid thing I just, for me. Uh, it goes way beyond uh, what I could have come up with on my own. Uh, the kind of uh, intelligence that we're talking about is not the kind that does well on the graduate records or college boards. Or I don't know how the Buddha would have done. Maybe he wouldn't have gotten into any colleges. I, I have no idea. It's wisdom I'm talking about. Uh, how to live. Uh, how does one live? That's the philosophy, love of wisdom. How should one live? Um, and it's not a formula. You may take one and then review it and then put it into action. But then finally you have to find out by actually living. Uh, and little by little. I don't, it, it, it's an unending process as far as I can tell. As long as you're alive, there are challenges and constant refinements. Uh, what the practice of Vipassana meditation, Zen meditation, all the Tibetan methods and so forth, uh, they're equipping us to give us a steady, clear mind so that 
we're able to really learn from what happens to us. For example, uh, in the little quote that I read to you, if something is uh, harmful, if something is harmful, uh, yeah, it con- doesn't contribute to well-being, then don't do it. If it's destructive, negative. If something is beneficial, then do it and do more of it. Well, how do you know? You have to do the best you can based on where you are at the time. You have to evaluate the, uh, what comes out of the particular mind state, translate it into action at the time. But as the mind gets clearer, the judgment changes, our ability to see more clearly. Uh, wisdom is something that's living. It's not memorizing wise quotes and then dropping them at parties and here tonight. I mean, I already have quoted the, Bo- the Buddha, but it's, wisdom is something that you have to be. Dharma is the word that, is, if you come, come here again, you'll, you'll hear that a lot, and it's the, the natural truth, the, the, the natural law, the truths of life. And it's not to know them in the abstract as an external thing that you write on the blackboard and then you transfer it to your spiral notebook. Uh, it's, you transfer it to your bones, the marrow of your bones, your blood, your heart, everything. It's, uh, and then it's tested in action. Living is something that is living. Wisdom is, real wisdom is alive. And it makes a difference in life. It's the art of living. Not because it's a great idea, but because this idea, when carried out, improves the quality of our life. If it's not, discard it. That's what the Buddha is saying. Okay. So uh, what I was pointing out to is the gratitude that uh, many, many people before us have left a legacy. Not only our own parents, let's say, or I'm sure you have people who have been very, very helpful in your childhood or whenever. but these teachings, and uh, to take into account the wise, to consult the wise are not out of the picture yet. It's not that like, fine, I read this, I'm just going to uh, do it my way and figure it out as I go along. You can do that. There's no law against it, of course. But what this is saying is, here's a body of teachings which seem to have helped thousands of people over thousands of years. Now maybe they were all fools and deluded. It's our job to test it, and, and it's for you. Does this help you live? Maybe you'll find this path isn't for you. Fine, don't waste time here. There are other approaches to enter into the same world, the same life. Life is prior to all these teachings. It just is happening. It's not Buddhist or Jewish or Islamic or Christian. or that, That's something imposed on it. Well, anyway, I'll leave it there. Um, and so what we're doing, what I hope to be doing is to show you and to give you concrete examples of how uh, a meditative life can benefit from the counsel of wise, of the wise, but it doesn't end there. You have to really, that's why we call it a practice. It's not simply uh, believing or explaining. And in Cambridge, that's one of the, a very high class um, it's difficult. I, I've seen this a lot. And I, one of the reasons I'm so happy to be teaching in Cambridge, I mean, I didn't start this center by accident, myself with a lot of help. Uh, I was part of this culture. I still am. Uh, it, it goes something like this. Uh, one of the ways in which people block themselves in terms of uh, really becoming free 
is that something happens. Let's say you genuinely pay attention, and then there's a kind of suffering, and you, you, you understand it. And you have a brilliant explanatory scheme for it that comes from, if you're a psychologist, it'll come from that direction. If you're a Buddhist, it'll come from that direction. Uh, if you're a Jungian analyst, it'll come from that direction. And it's so fulfilling, it's so satisfying, that your job's done. I understand that now. Your job hasn't begun. That's just intellectual, uh, conceptual understanding. Uh, w the wisdom we're talking about uh, is for the most part it's not in words. It can be then we turn it into words, of course, but it's not the words. And a lot of it is is direct, comes out of direct seeing, it's intuitive, uh, and yet if it's true wisdom, uh, its power to redeem itself is shown to you very very clearly by action through action, your life changes. Okay. Um, Hey, what I'm going to end off with tonight will be where we pick up next week. Next week, that's right. Next week. Um, this is from the Samyutta Nikaya uh, 1.5. Quote, this is from the, the Buddha is asked by someone, uh, the yogis around you are so radiant. They're, they're, they just seem so happy and lighthearted and radiant. Uh, how do you account for this? And the Buddha answers in this very short statement, they do not lament over the past, or drown in the past. They yearn not for what is to come. They're not lost in the future. So you're getting to see what time is here now. They maintain, you could translate it, sustain, nourish, they maintain themselves in the present or from the present. The nourishment comes from actual lived, raw, raw, uh, naked living experience. Mm. This. Thus, their demeanor is serene. Um, what it's implying, of course, is that so much of our life is spent in an imaginary future, uh, which doesn't exist, a past that's over with, that is never to happen again, never. If something's over, it, it doesn't come back. And even the present is, uh, we decorate it with uh, all kinds of ideas about what's happening to us and don't go deep enough to feel the depths of what a present moment is. What's all this fuss, by the way, all these books, power of now, uh, be here now, it's, now is in, be in the moment, commercials are using it now. Really, I hear it on TV. Everyone knows that you should be in the moment. I, I, really, I, it's a be in the moment. You're not in the moment. Uh, my, my stepdaughter, who has no interest in this whatsoever, a wonderful person in spite of that, uh, even she says to me, oh, you're not in the moment. That's usually a way to disarm me because I, I'm trying to say something that she doesn't want to hear. Um, what is being said is that the present moment has immense significance, and we'll, we'll try to um, put in words as clearly as I know how to do. What's the big deal about the present moment? Why not spend a lot of time in some future, just ah, make up some beautiful future and hang out there, or relive the past, the good old days? Of course, we also get into very much the, the bad old days, 
and we have uh, apocalyptic imaginings about what the future is going to bring. Uh, in the meantime, this is it. There's just this right now. And it keeps being like that. It's just this. Now it's, it's, in other words, life proceeds from now to now to now to now to now. It keeps going like that. If you want here now, here and now, here and now, here and now, everything else, even our imaginings of the future is happening now. If you imagine some fantastic future, when are you do, where are you doing that? You're doing it now, only it's, um, uh, anyone, what's, there's a term, uh, there's real time and stock market used it virtual time is that virtual it wouldn't be real right virtual reality okay in other words the mind can very beautifully make up a time and it's as if you're living there oh fantastic um real time is whew, it's sometimes called timelessness or the well, well we'll go into that more deeply um so what's being said is it's uh, a lot of our suffering comes from the fact that we don't understand time properly, psychological time. And uh, I hope I can, at the end of taking this sutra, show you that, at least for some of you, that it actually is about you. It's about me. Uh, and it's as relevant today as it was thousands of years ago. Um, and that, even more important, is that you can take the lessons from it. In other words, life is always teaching lessons. And do we learn? That's, that's the, the sad thing. The, the teachings are going on incessantly. It's just no one's signing up for the course. It's not free. It's not about money, but it certainly is not free. Something is asked of us if you want to uh, enroll in this course. Um, many of you most of you already, uh, how, how many people don't know what I mean by breath awareness? Let's say have not in some form or another been encouraged to become aware of their natural breathing. Anyone here? It, we're not, it's not a crime or anything like that. Yeah, good. Everyone has. When, during this uh, next period when you, when you practice it, and probably you know, certainly if you're relatively new at it, uh, the mind wanders off into the future and it wanders off into the path. Well, let's put it this way. Your mind, you get distracted, right? In, out, in, out, you're off somewhere. In, out, in, out, you're off somewhere else. Find out if where those places are. Devote maybe five or ten minutes sometime. And you'll see that very much of the time, probably, you may be unusual, uh, you're not able to be with the breath because the mind prefers to get entangled with what it thinks, uh, what it concocts or fabricates as a future. And it prefers to get entangled to something that's over with. And then remember, oh yeah, and then we come back, in, out, in, out. Uh, so it's operating at an even microscopical level. But we'll be, we'll be going into that. Uh, we'll, what I read gets at um, the essence of the sutra that we'll deal with, which goes into it in uh, much, much more detail. Okay, what we'll, what we'll do now is, um, those of you who would like to leave, please leave. And uh, I'm going to pretty much start in, because I like to have as much time as we can for discussion, questions, and answers. But I, I would like to tell you this. If you decide, decide to stay, don't feel that you have to stay until the entire session ends. I understand that you have busy lives. 
you, we, all, we work, we study. Uh, you may have to get, catch a train or a bus or get home by a certain time. It won't be rude. If you can only stay for five minutes, fine. Um, but if you're going to leave, I would suggest you do it uh, now. From my own opinion, as you're leaving, not trying to get the hook and bring you back, is that uh, the best part is now. <laughs> for, for me, it is, because people are asking real questions. It's not, you know, a, a blah, blah talk, and uh, it's much more alive than uh, a talk. But, uh, of course, do what you want. So all the, all the real dedicated yogis stay, and the rest... <laughs> The hacks, amateurs, <laughs> tourists, out. Okay. This gentleman is leaving, but he's authentic. <laughs> okay. I'm all ears, as Ross Perot used to say. He was a political candidate for some of you who just got born. Please. Greed, hatred, and delusion is the problem, according to the Buddha. But all right. Yeah, we're already, in other words, uh, you take into account what wise people might counsel you about. For example, here's the Buddha. You see, if that weren't so, uh, what's the point in all these teachings? In other words, look, just uh, find out for yourself. Get out of here. Use awareness. Follow the breath. Develop a steady, calm mind. Come back in about 25 years and let me know how you did. Uh, so w all it means is that there are it's not to dispense with wisdom, with why, with, but it's to use them properly. Does that make sense? It, it doesn't look convincing to no, me. It is? Okay. Um, it sounds to me like you're saying, if Socrates said something that was beautiful, then good for you, then... Well, you take it into account, but he isn't the final authority, is what I'm saying. Nor is the Buddha. The Buddha is not the final authority. You are which doesn't mean you can't be devoted to these teachings. That's why I love these teachings, because uh, I'm happy to be treated as an adult. I, what the teaching is saying is, my happiness and my unhappiness, hey, look over here. So I, I enjoy that challenge, personally. I've spent enough of my life not, not doing it. The problem is out there. Uh, but at any rate, you don't have to agree with it, but that's... that's that's what it, what it means, is you don't throw away, uh, for example, books, but you don't uh, sort of cite them as the final authority. Yeah. For example, supposing someone's much wiser than us, then uh, wouldn't it be sensible to, let's say they've meditated much longer than we have, and they've made some of the mistakes that we're just learning about. Couldn't it be helpful to kind of draw them out and say, this is what's going on, what do you think? But it doesn't mean that uh, it's not handing over your total integrity to someone. 
What's the second one? Sure. Exactly. What would you do if you passed that baby on the road? Well, That's what's important. Definitely. You've got to make sure the baby's okay. That's what you would do. Apparently in this story that isn't what happened. Yeah. But that's a story. What, would, what you do is much more interesting to me. Then, because then you have it. Now what? But um, sure, in other words, the possibility of taking this advice and misusing it, that's what I was getting at. Uh, you have to do the best you can uh, when you decide what is beneficial and what isn't for, for myself and others. You can't wait until you're perfect. Life would be over. And so you have to do the best you can and learn from what comes out of it. See, the difference, as far as I can tell, one of the main differences is the ability to, to learn from our mistakes. Some people make no mistakes. They just don't. You can, they never apologize. They're never wrong. Uh, they just don't. I mean, they're just born that way. Incredible. They're really lucky. Uh, but self-knowing has to do with, you, you need, that's what I meant, it takes a certain courage or boldness. At a, at a certain point, even, uh, you understand, the journey is, is enjoyable, of, of self-discovery. The reason what your example is a good one is because self-deception is so powerful in us that we're deceived over and over again, and we use a vocabulary that sounds very good. Okay, but sometimes what it takes is life has to give us a real hard whack before we wake up and see it. We just don't get it. Some of us just don't get it until some tragedy hits. And then even then we don't get it. But the main thing is you. What would you do with that child? But do you see the... As the mind gets clearer, you have a better chance as self-knowing matures uh, you have a better chance of uh, not kidding yourself or, or saying something is beneficial when it really isn't. See, it's an ongoing learning process. Can I give you a personal example? I was part of the psychedelic generation. Okay. And we were on the cutting edge you know, of uh, uh, LSD and peyote and uh, all of it. And for us, it was an eye-opener. I was, being, I was being trained as a psychologist, uh, a very uh, intellectual training. And I didn't know that there were whole realms of consciousness that I uh, literally was cut off from because I, my, my conceptual mind was somewhat developed and, and uh, it, took, it covered the waterfront. And all it took was one LSD trip and I saw that, whoa, even the, the most profound texts in my field, they don't know about this. It's not, it wasn't a hallucination. I knew it, okay, uh, and etc. So I got out in, in time. I started to see that, whoa, the people who stay on it, even a little longer than me, I could see their uh, memory start to decay. I saw all kinds of... So I got, and then I, I heard about yoga and meditation. That's what got... And I heard, this is the way to do it naturally. I got out immediately. I never really wanted to take the drugs, but uh, what it produced was very impressive. And so it was beneficial for me. But then in looking back, which I did some years ago, 
with other people who did what I did. We all did it together. We knew each other. Uh, overall, it's been a disaster. Uh, in other words, it opened the door to all kinds of people uh, using chemical comforters. And uh, in other words, there's got to be a chemical for everything. No matter what it is, get a chemical for it. And constantly discovering new ways to get high. And people don't know what to do with it. So, the, so we have a, an epidemic of addiction and so forth. So maybe it was beneficial for me. I honestly think it was. But I didn't know the full implications of it. And in this teaching, before you do something, you might want to reflect and you do your best. While you're doing it, if you see that, oh, I thought this was beneficial, but as you're living it out, you see it really isn't. Cut it off. If you're mistaken, apologize. But then even after it's over and, and it seemed beneficial, uh, we're encouraged at least sometimes to then look back and review it. If it turns out that it was wrong and you feel some remorse, as I did, and then feel the remorse. It's not a guilt trip. And learn from it and move on. So uh, I'm, you know, I would, I'm less hasty about certain things that seem us right away to be very, very helpful. But you have to, hmm, I hope so, maybe. What's your third one? Where you got hurt in the past, wounds from the past? You know, like the things I did, the things that were... You hurt others, others hurt you. So, I'm sure most of us feel something similar. It's a major part of life. Um, it doesn't take for us an act of faith that this practice is going to result in happiness. Of course, of course. But wait a minute. No, let, I did. I did mention it. I did. I said faith is, uh, in other words, it's like a hypothesis. I don't know if I mentioned it last week or now. You know, it's, but uh, in, in the Buddhist teaching, look, the doubt is encouraged. So you might say, well, wait a minute, that's in conflict with faith. No. Uh, you need some faith to mobilize the energy, to set in motion activities to test what's being told to you. How else are you going to find out? But taste it, taste. Um, Faith is provisional here. It's not, for example, it's not like I'm a, you're a person of faith for the rest of your life. I haven't verified a thing, but at least I have faith. Now, faith can be a powerful path for some people, but this isn't that. It's, in, uh, it's faith to uh, the possibility that this uh, is something that's beneficial. If you don't have that faith, where's the energy going to come from? Why would you even want to do it in the first place? So it, it's helpful if it sounds plausible, sensible. Your teachers... Desperation. Sure, desperation, but your judgment's usually not so good. We get, when, when we're desperate, you have to do the best you can. So typically, some degree of conviction is necessary. Uh, confidence, tentatively, so that we have the energy. If the person says, uh, X, Y, uh, I'll give you a simple one. Um, probably all or most of us in this room have done it, whether you know it or not. Um, breath awareness, in and of itself, we're not talking about insight, meditation, vipassana, enlightenment, just simply being able to improve your ability to maintain a continuous attention to the breathing will bring a, a tremendous amount of joy and peace to you that probably you've never known before. Uh, it will also... Uh, refresh the mind, rejuvenate the mind, be healthy for the body, and da 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 da. Sounds good, right? Um, have you found that to be true? I have. 
So I do it. So I teach it. If you haven't, then the question would be, have you done it adequately so it's been tested? You can't have a hypothesis and then never go to the laboratory. You have a brilliant hypothesis and then you just argue about it with your colleagues in the cafeteria all the time. Uh, but you never go into your laboratory and get some, some results because it might be wrong. And th that's the whole point of that sutra. Okay, please. Role of what? Pathology. Yes. If we are trusting our deepest experience, our, our own experience, and our experience is clouded or even founded, foundation is yes. my pathology, how reliable is my experience? That's what I'm saying. It's the same question. Uh, 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 what I'm saying is, to begin with, it's not very reliable. And that's often why the counsel of the wise is helpful. Uh, where where some, somebody who, for example, it's, quite, it's all over the place, it's rampant, that we don't have good judgment, and we have tremendous confidence in our lack of judgment. And, you know, and, and we get into incredibly destructive relationships, and we do all kinds of negative things. Uh, we're not seeing clearly. It's, it's illusory. That's what... That's, what the path is premised on that, that we all start uh, from illusion, but we don't think we are. If Let's say if you have, remember this from the point of view of liberation and, and, and uh, wisdom, which is the same thing. Um, some, from a certain perspective, a person can uh, be intelligent and have good judgment uh, relatively good judgment, but then as you, li as you live, you make certain choices and decisions, and they're not working, and certain things are happening again and again. And it's what you're saying. The pathology is distorting your ability. Uh, I'll give you an example, a very earthy one. I hope you won't be offended. Uh, Ajahn Mahabua, who is one of my teachers in Thailand, uh, Westerners would come through. Some of us lived there for some time. It's in the jungle, way off. And uh, this fellow from California, I, you know, I, 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 some of my best friends are Californians. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but he's a, the reason I have to say it is I think you can kind of get a sense, kind of a, this was easily 10 years ago, but not exactly a hippie, but in that, in that vein. So there would be, after lunch, there'd be a question and answer period. And... Um, I've forgotten the exchange, and uh, this fellow from California uh, described how he makes his decisions, which is, he said, I follow, uh, I just follow my heart. I look inside and I follow my heart. And Ajahn Buddhadasa uh, Mahabua couldn't get the translation. So the translator tried three, four, five times. Finally, he got through what he meant, and he just fell over laughing. I mean, he was just, and he said, you trust your heart, follow my heart, that cesspool full of urine and feces, you know, it's sort of like full of delusion and uh, misinformation and prejudice, and said, that's what's guiding you in life. <laughs> just, <laughs> okay, so here we are. <clears throat> We're all a bunch of confused people. Let's hope we don't confuse each other further. Uh, <clears throat> and that's why the council, look, sometimes people come to the center who've had a very rough time, really rough. They're on the edge. 
And they're in no condition to, to fully do what this sutra is saying. And so here's a teaching that may be helpful and much more, it's like a parent with a troubled child sometimes. The more attention, in a sense, you are substituting your judgment in a graceful way to help them get to the point where little by little they can step out on their own and make their own see more clearly. I would say it's an ongoing thing because as your mind gets clearer, uh, everything changes, but you, you have to do the best you can. I can't, yeah. Does that getting it what yes, you're... Yes, it is. It yeah. brings us back to what you were saying about um, narcissism. Yes. You see what it is, yes. Yeah, uh, that, but now if you're so narcissistic that you can't allow awareness to see that, that you are, then you're going to be stuck there for a while. And that's where the wise counsel comes Or a whack. You know, in the Zen tradition I use physical. Yeah. Here we use, we whack you with words. Uh, we're more gentle. In Zen they whack you with a stick. Okay, Yes. They may be, maybe they're better off. Actually, my opinion, sorry, since you're not asking questions, I'll talk to myself. (laughs) Uh, In the short run, a whack with a stick can be quite more impressive. It can be more impressive. But in the long run, it doesn't encourage a certain kind of self-reliance and sensitivity, uh, where in the short, short run, it won't be that impressive because we tend to want to enter zones of comfort and delude ourselves. Uh, So I've done both, and they both have strengths and weaknesses. But that's, okay, you you got it. And certainly you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Please. All of culture, not just this one. Begin to, yeah. That's right. The smart person learns from their own mistakes, and the wise person learns from the mistakes of others. Mm, what do you think? <laughs> you can learn from both, but I would say that in this approach, the premium is definitely to learn from your own mistakes. Let, let me give you a couple of examples, and also an answer to the question. Life can help us out, so we're not just so helpless. Um, I'll give you one from my own practice, but first a short one. There's, uh, I don't know if any of you read it in the, in the New Yorker some months ago, a very eminent neurosurgeon, um, how he, he decides on, he gets enormous numbers of people apply for residency or inter- to work with him. And uh, they all have excellent grades, come from great schools, great recommendations. But what he uses is he asks questions like, um, do you ever, uh, do you make, have you made any mistakes in your medical training so far? And if the person says yes, then they say, uh, how have you, what have you done when you've seen your mistake? 
the ones who say, I haven't had any mistakes, you know, in their medical, uh, they don't, you know, in the waste paper, because they're, they're finished. Uh, then there are others who say, I've made mistakes, and then, but they'll say, uh, they blame it on someone else. You know, it's never them. Uh, and the, what he found, the best ones are very comfortable with, uh, with what you're saying, really, uh, because life is teaching us. Let me give you a first, this is the most vivid example I can, t I can give to you, because sometimes something can be correct, but it's not right. Uh, my mother was dying. And uh, she was, in the, the, towards the end, she was paralyzed. Her brain was fine. Her mind was cl very clear. And she had one arm and the, the hand about it. Everything else was paralyzed. It didn't work. And the whole family's around her. She wasn't dying in that instance, but it was clearly on the way out. And her breathing was so belabored that we had, a, all the family was there. It was, I could see, and including in myself, um, it was painful to be in the room with her. We were all gathered around her, her bed because each breath was so exhausting for her. And so, Mr. Dharma, Mr. Wisdom, uh, I'm holding her hand. Yeah, I was, holding, no, I was holding her hand with my right hand. It's that vivid. And stroking her forehead. And I was holding her hand. And I start giving her an A number one beautiful Dharma talk about how uh, your body has served you well in life and now it's time, you know, it, it, you don't have to hold on so tight, it's okay, you know, essentially telling her it's, it's, it's all over, you know, let it go. She's not a Vipassana meditator, you have to understand that. Uh, she's a Jewish woman born in, in, uh, in Russia, then grew up in Brooklyn, and she never heard of this stuff, but okay, he, my son does it, it must be okay. Uh, that was after 10 years of doubting it. But at any rate, so I'm giving her very wonderful teachings on impermanence, death awareness, uh, stop fighting, stop struggling. And the, more, the, the better the Dharma uh, talk was, the tighter her hand would get, to the point where she was, I, where did that strength come from? She hated hearing that. She hated it. And then at a certain point, you see how intricate this process is of self-knowing. At a certain point, I saw that what I was telling her was on behalf of myself and everyone else, we were really uncomfortable with how hard it was for her to breathe. And my advice to her was, it was correct, but it was not right. And as soon as I switched to, I didn't use the word metta, which is a training in loving kindness, which we do. And I said, mom, you, you know, I stopped with all this. Your body has served you well, and now it's running out. She was 90, for goodness sakes. Okay, so I, stopped, I dropped all of that, as straight Theravadan Vipassana wrap, and I just said, you've been a loving person all your life, and uh, you've loved many people, and many people love you, and we love you. And then her hand relaxed, and a smile came on her face. Uh, and so which I, I learned, life taught me this is wrong, that this teaching is not appropriate for this person. It's uh, unskillful. So there is help from it. But again, you have to pay attention to your, to your own mind and to what life is teaching you. They're really the, the kind of... Please. So, Larry, in a way you're saying that you have to be really present in that moment to get it. Exactly. Exactly. I would say that that's uh, the prerequisite for anything worthwhile. It all grows out of that. The, the uh, attention and the willingness to learn from what you see and hear. And then there is help. Forms, techniques, methods. Even teachers once in a while can be useful.
Not, not too often, but once in a while. I'm kidding. I th you're supposed to su support me in that saying, <laughs> okay, uh, I'll have to examine that tonight, yeah. We have time for a bit more, if there's anything else on your mind. If not, you can have a re refreshment, please. Yes. Okay. Um, let's say uh, you're not really taking care of, of business in the present. And by business, I don't mean just literally business. You're like, and you keep, you're a dreamer, and you keep inventing uh, comforting, uh, consoling, pleasant realities about some. Look, many of us spend a lot of time waiting for an improved future to come. In the meantime, we're not really in touch with the actuality of now. Okay, And let's say you're doing a lot of that, uh, then time is eating you. You know, that's not going to go anywhere. Or sometimes one person asked me, well, what's wrong with fantasizing? This person, it was obvious that fantasy was very important in his life. And we also know what kind of fantasizing, right? All right. Do I have to spell that out? <laughs> um, and so he didn't want his fantasies taken away from him. So my job isn't to take anything away from you. It's get you to look at saying, look, I don't know you. I remember this one. You're sort of like, if you're spending so much time fantasizing sexually uh, that it's keeping you from meeting a real person, then you better look at that. So that, do you see what I'm getting at? Uh, so that's time eating you. You eating time, uh, also, it, it has many, many meanings. One is, we're afraid of death. If you look closely, you'll see, we're afraid of the idea of death. Uh, and in that sense, that's eating you. Uh, I don't want to go further, because we'll, but you, you have a hint there. One last question or comment or anything? The heat has gotten you down today, I think. Or, I, no, I think the talk was so overwhelming that... Okay, thank you very much. Could we just have a moment of silence? May all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering. 
That includes us, all beings. I want to modify the, ex- the example of my exchange with my mother. That, does, that was the right, finally, that was the right response in that situation. In another situation, the teacher might have cut through that. No meta, no. Uh, don't hide from the fact that life is impermanent, etc. So don't take that to be, it's not a formula. Uh, wisdom is something that is always uh, sensitive to the particular conditions and situation of the moment. It's called upaya. In other words, one of the main requirements of good Dharma teaching is that the teaching is good for the person in front of you at that time and place. Uh, then again, in a group like this, of course it's general. But then if we get to know each other better or in a certain situation, sometimes uh, what's, what is textbook-wise right isn't. My mother is not going to become a Vipassana yogi in her 90th year when she probably, well, it turns out she had about a week to live. And so that was correct, I think so, for her. But someone else who has different aspirations, who's much younger, and uh, etc., and is misusing metta every time there's some difficulty, they retreat to something other than looking at their problem, then good teaching might be to cut that away and help the person see what they're doing. I just want to make sure that we understand that. It's not a formula. Okay. There's uh, stuff downstairs. Tea? Anything? Oh, there is something? Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.